This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. Good evening to all. And may the peace of God be in your hearts right now. It is a pleasure for me to be with you this evening. And I want to thank Pastor Rose, Pastor Jennifer, and Pastor Kevin right before he left from here to my previous church. He was the one who uh, extended the invitation. So I'm really honored to be here tonight and share from the living hope we have in Scripture. You know, although... Paul says that uh, from faith, hope, and love, the greatest is love, which is obviously true. Hope is something that if we are without, we're almost dead. In Romanian, we have a saying, and we say, hope is the last one. Hope dies the last one. That's what we say. Because as long as you have hope, there's still a light there at the end. And I know that sometimes we feel as if there's no hope for us personally. You see, we have become so proficient at um, not showing our brothers and sisters in the church our true struggles. We have become so proficient at hiding our true fights within us that we come to church and everybody has to put on their best face, just maybe as a defense mechanism for fear of being judged or whatever. But sometimes, because we're human beings and we make mistakes, stupid mistakes sometimes, bad mistakes, terrible mistakes, we succumb unto the fear that there's no more chance for us. How many times have you just said, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. How many times have you felt you've hit rock bottom? How many times have you felt you're just so low that you can't get up from where you are? How many times have you just felt that you've done so many terrible mistakes that nobody's going to ever love you again? And even if you come to church and show your best face, there's not, probably there's not a chance for you in the end. These are emotions, thoughts, that we struggle with in our walk of faith. Well, tonight, I wanted to share with you from Scripture what God's answer is to when you feel like there's no more hope for you. And I'm going to do that by drawing your attention to a prophecy in the Bible um, that has been revived somewhat Uh, especially now since the uh, unjust war in Ukraine has started earlier this year. Um, A lot of people have uh, directed their attention to Ezekiel chapter 38. A very enigmatic prophecy, especially in our Adventist understanding, it's not very prominent. This prophecy is like, "Mm, yeah, something that happened back then. In the evangelical churches, though, it's a big prophecy. Everybody's talking about Gog and Magog and 
whatever you pronounce those names that I don't even read very often, and who's who, and Russia is this, and then the United States is that, and they're going to fight, and they're going to do, and whatever, then this prophecy foretells, whatever. Um, <clears throat> what's the connection, though, between this prophecy and what I just said earlier, about, between this very enigmatic and very uh, hard-to-understand prophecy and the fact that we sometimes feel without hope. Well, it's very interesting. It's the key to understanding this prophecy, and it's the key to understanding God's relationship with our mistakes, with our sins, with our shortcomings, with our failings, with our falls day to day. You see, in this prophecy, Gog and Magog, uh, God says that there'll be a coalition of the evil uh, all the people that will attack Israel. And God himself will fight for Israel. There'll be, everybody will be against them, and God himself will fight for him. You could read the, this in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Yeah, you'll have to read it several times because it's it, not only the, uh, the, it's the language in which it was written, it was, was, it was different, but the cultural elements are different. It's a different culture, and not everything we understand immediately so we have to really dig into that thing to understand what it says but the main point is this God said I have a plan for you and you will be my people and I will dwell among you and you will be full of righteousness because of me God said and you will spread my righteousness in all the earth and I will dwell with you there in my, and the, the, this is, comes later in chapter 42, 43, God says, look at the temple. It'll be a most magnificent temple like you've never had before. Reality is that didn't happen. That's why a lot of uh, churches are still waiting for that chapter to take place because they say uh, it's a prophecy. It has not been fulfilled, so it has to be fulfilled in the, in the future because they don't understand the concept of conditional prophecy. If God says something happens, and something changed. In the meantime, God said, I'm going to change my plan too. Because what happened here, God had a wonderful plan for the people of Israel. He wanted them to become the center of the world, the center of, the center of spirituality for the whole world, the center to, to which everyone would have directed their attention to receive the light that comes from God. And in that case, they would have become such a menace, such a threat, for the kingdom of evil, for Satan, that he would have gathered all the people of the earth to fight against Israel. But the reality is that Israel did not listen to God. They did not fulfill his commandments. And they did not become that center of spirituality that he intended them to be. So in that case, they did not become the threat for the kingdom of Satan. And Sente said, well, I'm not going to waste my time with you. You're destroying yourselves. I'm not, not going to gather all the kings of the earth to fight with you because it's not, it's not worth it. You're already doing it yourself. You're not a threat to me. So because, because of their failings, because of their shortcomings, they have ceased to be a threat for Satan. Satan did not bring all the kingdoms against them. However, and this is the beautiful part, brothers and sisters, 
when they failed to fulfill God's initial plan and by that failed to become a threat for the kingdom of Satan. I have a question for you. Is that where God's plan for the people of Israel stopped? So that was plan A, yes? God had a wonderful plan for the people of Israel. He had some wonderful things prepared for them. And you, you would see glimpses of this plan through all the prophets in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It's, it's just, that's how the biblical prophecy works. It's not, it's not chronological. It just jumps back and forth. That's how they were doing things back then. So you would see glimpses of this plan. But when that did not become a reality, did God forsake Israel? No, he did not. Because even if he did, they did not fulfill his initial plan, God came with plan B and said, okay, okay, you did not want me to bestow all my blessings upon you as I initially wanted? That's fine. I have something else in store for you. And he presented that plan, and then they failed to fulfill that plan, and God said, okay, I have another plan for you. Because brothers and sisters, God never runs out of letters in the alphabet for whatever mistakes you make. You make a mistake, God comes with plan B. And then you make another mistake and say, okay, my life is done. I can never get out of this. And God says, that's fine. I have plan C for you. And then you do another stupid mistake and you feel like you're again forsaken by God. And God said, mm -mm, I have plan D for you. And so on and so on and so on and so on. And if you look in scripture, Scripture is the history of people with failed plans. If you look in Scripture, all the heroes of faith, you see that they started well, but at one point on their path, something happened and their life changed. The course of their life was, was directed in a different sense, in a different direction. Let's look at Moses, for example. Look at Moses. So what do you have here? You have a mother that loves her son so much that she risks whatever the punishment was and she kept her son. But at the point where she could not keep it anymore, keep the son anymore, in her mind, the best thing she could, she could uh, still keep him safe was to put him in a basket and throw him on, put him on the Nile. And very interestingly, the basket was made out of reed and there's serious uh, evidence that crocodiles do not like reed. So she did whatever was the knowledge at that time to protect her son from the terrible beasts of the Nile, the crocodiles. Obviously, God safeguarded that basket, and he directed the basket into the path of the daughter of Pharaoh who was bathing in the Nile at that time. Now, that lady wasn't stupid. She went, went, when, when Miriam appears, it's like, oh, you need, you need somebody to take care of the child? I, I think I have a woman for you. She figured it out. And they're like, yeah, okay. It's most likely one of her relatives. So she agreed to that. But that was God's initial plan. And then Moses came, uh, became the, one of the princes of Egypt and was educated in the highest schools at that time a prime subject to become the leader of the people of Israel. And at one point, Moses makes a terrible mistake. 
when the Bible even says that he thought nobody saw him, so he killed the Egyptian. But there was somebody who saw it. Who was it? It's the very Jew that he saved from the hand of that Egyptian. And he most likely tattled to the other Jews because the next day, everybody knew about it. It's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And at that point, Moses knew that his mistake was known and he had to flee. God's initial plan for Moses was stopped. And Moses had to spend 40 years in the wilderness with the sheep to learn from his mistakes. And at the age that most people, some people, don't even start to enjoy retirement, Moses started his true career. At the age of 80, when he probably was, uh, at this point, I don't know, should I bother? Is it, I'm just going to, you know, tend for these sheep uh, one or two years, then I'm going to retire, who knows. But at that point, God said, no, no, you did not succeed in my plan A. I have a plan B for you, Moses. And he brought him back. And through the power that was in him, God, you, you remember all, all the excuses that Moses was making? Oh, Lord, you know, I, I don't know the people anymore. I don't know the language. I, I, I know what, what are you going to say? What did God say at that point? I am with you. Now go. And he's just one of the examples in the Bible. You see character after character after character in the Bible of people who were chosen by God. They started well, and they make a stupid mistake. Think of Abraham. He did the same mistake twice. And then his son did it too. Think of Joseph. Most likely because he was the favorite of his father, even if he didn't know it, but he was probably very arrogant with his brothers. Uh, you can kind of see that from the way he acts with them. And that brought whatever came upon him. I mean, it was terrible, and it, he did not deserve it, but it brought it upon him. And again, God's course of action, God's initial plan of grandeur, of, of, of miracles, was stopped. And Joseph started his, the circuitous path of going back later to God's plan. At one point, he's thrown in prison. This time, it wasn't his fault. And even after he deciphered the, two, the gifts, the, the dreams of the two, um, two people from, from the Pharaoh's court, he still stayed in prison two more years. But what's very interesting if you look at the biblical text, and I challenge you to go back and, and, and read the story of Joseph. If you look at the biblical text, the Bible says Joseph was in prison, but God was Joseph in prison. You look at David, mighty King David. What a beautiful start of the path he has. Young boy, handsome strong, but still the youngest in the family. His father didn't even count him. His father didn't even think of him when Samuel came and said, one of your sons is going to be the king. 
And Ishai said, okay, it's most likely the, the, the eldest, the older, the, the, the older one. And throughout his sons, and the Spirit of God said to, to Samuel, no, not this one, not this one. And then finally Samuel asks, uh, I'm sorry, sir, is there another one? And you can almost see Ishai is like, yeah, there is one, but he's the youngest. He's with the sheep. What are you talking about? He can't be king. He's with the sheep. He's the shepherd boy. He can't be king. Well, bring him. Bring him. Okay, I'm going to bring him. And they brought him, and the Spirit of God said, this one, Samuel. I know you're looking at what strikes the eye, but I'm looking at the heart. This one is the one that I want. David becomes king. He has his struggles with Saul. And at one point, he makes one of the most terrible sins in the Bible. Not only does he take one man's wife, willingly, so it wasn't a mistake, he planned it. Not only does he kill that woman's husband, but he tried to hide everything and act as if nothing happened. And he was so unaware. Through this, you see where sin leads us, brothers and sisters. Sin blinds us. From people who think and reason, we become like animals who do the stupidest things ever because of sin. And Nathan came, comes to David and says, I have a story for you. And he starts to tell the story. And there was this man. He had a you, and he really loved that, you know, lamb. And he took care of her and whatever. And along came his neighbor, and he took it. And, oh. and at that point, the spirit of, of indignity was risen. And, and David is, oh, he should be put to death, this man. And Nathan says, you are that man. And it was in that moment that David realized he has failed God's plan. It was at that moment that David realized how deep his sin has brought him. How many times we ourselves have found ourselves on the same path. We started well for God. We were very you know, inspired by the beautiful words of Scripture. We were happy to serve Him. And we came to church and we got involved. And we maybe sang in the choir or manned the cameras or the technical team or we were deacons and ushers and we were gathering the tithes and offerings and we were elders and we were in the board and we were leaders of the church and we started well. But at one point, we made a stupid mistake that people find out about maybe or that only us knew about it, that only we knew about it. And at that point, we knew that we failed God's plan. And at that point, we felt as if there was no chance for us. Well, just as for Abraham, just as for Joseph, just as for Moses and David and Samuel and just as for all the characters in the Bible that have 
gone away from the path God has set for them, there's a hope for you and I, brothers and sisters. Because no matter how many mistakes we have, no matter how many mistakes we make, God will always have another plan for us. No matter how far we go away from Him, He will always be that Father from the parable, which should rightly be called not the parable of the prodigal son, not the parable of the unprodigal son, but it is actually the parable of the Father. He's the main character. And, and no matter how far away from Him we are, He will always be at the gate of the city waiting for us just to make one step back towards Him. He will run before us. He will embrace us, put sandals on our feet because at that time only slaves walked barefooted. And, he, and the son was saying, I, I, I want to be one of your slaves. I said, no, 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 you are my son. So put the sandals in his feet. He's the one who's going to put the signet ring in, 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 on his finger. That's not jewelry. That's like the checkbook nowadays. Or if you want to make it, it's like the passphrase from your MetaMask wallet, whatever you want to call it. He gave that back to his son, to the one who squandered half of his fortune. He gave back the checkbook to do it again, if he's so pleased. Why? Because this is the God we worship, brothers and sisters. No matter how many mistakes we make, no matter how deep our sins are, if we come back to Him, there's always a plan for you and I. Now, we're going to pay a price. That's for sure. It's not going to be, oh yeah, come back. Yes, it's going to be. We're going to pay the price of having been so far away from God. For Moses, it was 40 years. For Abraham, so many more years. For Jacob, remember Jacob? Do you think that when God made that promise to his mother, even before they were born, that the youngest will rule over the oldest, do you not think that God had a plan for that? When, when Isaac said, bring me my son Esau so that I may bless him, do you not think that God would have done something? Remember what Joseph, do you remember what, what Joseph did? No, no, Jacob. What he did later with, with Joseph's sons, when he brought, no, I want this one, Lord, Manasseh. He put out his right hand, so that he blessed Manasseh with his right hand and Ephraim with his left one. But what Jacob said, did this. And Joseph was, no, 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 father, listen. It was, you know, actually, son, I know what I'm doing. Do you not think that God could have done that for him? Do you not think that at the moment of blessing, God could have told Isaac, no, not like this, Isaac. Call Jacob. Bless him. He would have blessed Jacob. But because of his mistake, he never saw his mother again. He was never there for his brother again. He only saw him one time after that, and that's it. He never saw his family again because of one mistake. So if we go away, if we make mistakes, we are sure going to pay a price. And most often is the natural consequences of our mistakes. Sometimes when God chooses, He can eliminate the natural consequences of our mistakes. Most of the times, He does not. Just like we parents, when we 
want to discipline our children. If they make a mistake, most of the times we do not remove the natural consequences of their mistakes because we want them to learn that sin hurts. It hurts them, it hurts us, it hurts the relationship, it hurts others. And most of the times, God will not remove the natural consequences of our sins and we will pay for them. But the good news, the living hope, brothers and sisters, is that as long as we're alive, there's still a chance for you and I. As long as you have breath in you, if you turn back to God, He will run, run to meet you. As long as you're alive, if you decide at one point to turn, to end with all that life of senselessness, of meaninglessness, if you decide to end it, God is waiting for you to bring you back into His fold. Now, you would have paid the price of having missed His companionship, His relationship, His power in your life. You see, maybe some people are trying to game the system. Trying to play that game, ah, I'm going to, you know, live my life and try to enjoy it. And then at the last moment, I'm going to be repenting and come and be able to be in heaven. Well, first of all, that's a very difficult game to play. Because you don't know when the last moment is. Okay? That's the first thing. Secondly, even if you do know the last moment, and even if you are able to achieve that, you're going to be filled with the greatest regret you've ever had. Because the moment you feel God's presence and love, again, we will say, how could I have been so stupid to miss this for my entire life? We will be saved, but we would have missed the presence of God. So brothers and sisters, do not procrastinate. If you were thinking, yes, I want to turn back to God. I want to, but you know, there's that. And maybe I should do that before. Maybe I should be graduating. Maybe I should go to school. Maybe I should get married. Maybe I, is, is God not welcome in all those stages of your life? Do you not think that God could make all these stages of your life so much more wonderful that you could have them without God? You do not want to tarry. You do not want to procrastinate. You would want to come back to God today. Because starting from today, you're going to be living with His presence again. So, don't postpone this until tomorrow. Don't be like Pharaoh when he was having the, the plague with the frogs and Moses comes to him and says, okay, I can remove the frogs. Do you want me to remove the frogs? Yes, yes. When do you want me to pray to, for you to remove the frogs? What did Pharaoh say? Remember? He said, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Why? Because his hardened heart kind of hoped that maybe this problem would have been solved without him having to appeal to God. He gave him more time to be away from God. Just in case, maybe my sorcerers will be able to do this again and I don't have to pray to this God to remove them. 
but that solution never came. And he had to pray to God. Moses prayed. The frogs went away. I mean, died. Did not went away. Did not go away. They died. Right there where they were. Even in their pots and in their beds and on their face and in their plates. But the Bible says that the moment he got rid of the frogs, Pharaoh saw there is respite. Times for respite. Ah, whew, I can live without God again. And he hardened his heart further. Every moment that you spend away from God, brothers and sisters, is hardening your heart even further. Every moment that you do not come back to him is making you like righteousness even less and like sin even more. You know, a lot of people think that God has a limit to his forgiveness. He doesn't. You can make an infinity of sins. He will, if you ask for forgiveness, honestly, every time, he will forgive you. The danger is... If you commit so many sins, just like Pharaoh, your heart will become so hardened that you would not want God's forgiveness anymore. The moment you don't want God's forgiveness, he's not going to give it to you. Because there is at least one character in the Bible. There's more, but at least a prominent one who chose to not come back. And that character was Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. He did it willingly. Even though he did it for a, a good reason, so to speak, we have uh, glimpses of that from, from the book Desire of Ages by Ellen White, that he kind of wanted to force Jesus' hand to make him a Messiah. He said, if I put him in that position, he will not accept to be killed. He'll have to, you know, become the Messiah and take the kingdom Come on, it's time, Jesus, and it's time you acknowledge my gifts. In his mind was these thoughts were going. But to his surprise, Jesus accepted his predicament and went on with the suffering. Now, Peter betrayed him too. Peter betrayed him three times. He denied him three times. Now, had Judas come back to Jesus after he was resurrected and asked for forgiveness, honestly, sincerely, do you think Jesus would have welcomed Judas again? Yes, brothers and sisters. Just like he welcomed Peter, just like he welcomed everyone who had forsaken him, just like he lovingly rebuked Thomas and said, Thomas, I know you want to see, and there it is. Here it is. Put your hand here. But blessed are those who believe without seeing because they trusted me. He would have welcomed Judas again. There's only one thing that made a difference. Judas decided to not come back to God. As long as you're alive, brothers and sisters, there's always hope. As long as you're alive, there's always God's plan for you. There are no letters in all the alphabets in the whole world for how many plans God has for you. So wherever you are right now in life, whatever your situation is, no matter how difficult, how dire, how terrible the sins that you made are, there's always a chance for you. Never give it up. You should always come back to God now. And I want to call upon you. Do not tarry on this one. 
Don't let it until tomorrow. It's like, I have enough time. Maybe tomorrow I'll do this. So if you want to come back to God, I want to invite you to stand. Stand where you are and th- say to God, Lord, you know my sins. I want you to welcome me back. And I know you will welcome me back as your son or your daughter. If you want to come back to him, I want to invite you to stand right where you are and tell God by this, thank you, Lord, for having always a plan for me no matter what I have done in my life. If you want to come back to God now, I invite you to stand and take an oath and say, Lord, I want to be yours forever. Lord, I want to be welcomed back. Lord, thank you for your plan. If you want to experience his forgiveness, his hand of might, his power, his wonders in your life, I invite you to stand right now and say, Lord, come into my life and bring sense to my meaningless life again. Help me believe that there's a chance for me Help me believe that there's hope for me. Help me know that no matter how low I went, you will always come down to me and bring me back up from where I am. If you want to live with God starting today, I invite you to stand right now and say to God, Lord, here I am. Take me back into your family. Lord, I am here with all my mistakes. With all my sins, I need you in my life. If you want that your life become with meaning again, I invite you to stand right now and tell God that you want his wonders in your life. And tell God that you want his miracles in your life. And tell God that you want his presence in your life forever. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation Seven-day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.